The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. If you are visiting, if you're a guest, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you are with us this morning. And uh, if, uh, if you are new to us, you are joining us in the midst of a sermon series that we began just a couple weeks ago, a sermon series looking at the fruit of the Spirit. This is going to take us nine weeks to get through them. We're taking each uh, piece of fruit uh, week by week. And uh, we've looked at two of them, and this morning we turn to the third. But before we turn there, just a reminder of why it is that we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. You remember in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he gives us a list of, of fruits of the flesh, uh, vices, sins, temptations that believers are supposed to turn from. We are to flee from things like strife and jealousy. Uh, there's a whole list right there. But, but then he follows that up with the fruit of the Spirit. As Christians are supposed to turn from these fruits of the flesh, we are to turn and to put on, to live out, to embody love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That when we think about what it means to be a believer, we always think that to be a believer is to be a follower of Jesus. We are trusting in his work. We're depending upon what he has done on our behalf. And as such, we now embody these fruits. That we are to put on love, joy, peace, etc. And so that's why we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Because when we think about what it looks like for a Christian to live, this is what we should embody. And so we look at love and joy the last two weeks. This morning we turn our attention to the next fruit of the Spirit, peace. And we're going to look at peace by looking at Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 2. If you don't have a Bible, the passage is going to be projected on the screens in front of you, and there are also Bibles in the chairs in front of you. You're welcome to uh, take one of those out and open it up. And, and uh, just as an aside, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, just take the one right in front of you. It is yours. No one will stop you as you leave the building and ask you why you're doing it. It is yours. Uh, we want you to have it. We believe that the, word, the Bible is the very word of life, and so we would want anyone who would desire it to have it. When we turn our attention to Ephesians 2, we begin in verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, but by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that what Christ has done, no one else could have. He has gone to the cross, he has risen again, and he has done so to bring us peace. And so we pray that that is what we would turn our attention to this morning. And so turn our eyes and our minds and our hearts away from those things that distract and turn us away from you. And instead, let us rest in your grace to see the beauty of your word and to, to trust in your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So many of you know uh, of my uh, affinity, my enjoyment of uh, the miniseries Band of Brothers. Some of you are familiar with this story, Band of Brothers. It tells the uh, original story, the true story of the 101st Airborne Easy Company and their exploits during World War II. The book is written by Stephen Ambrose, but then was taken and adapted by HBO into a miniseries. And in this miniseries, we follow the, the travails of, of Easy Company. It takes us from Camp Tekoa, where they were uh, training in Georgia before the, world, before the war. And then we see them drop behind enemy lines on D-Day. We see them stand heroically at the Battle of the Bulge and of them taking Hitler's eagle's nest. It follows their, their actions, their, their wanderings, their battles, their struggles. It's a wonderful story. I, I, this is a mini-series I can go back to again and again and again. And as you watch the, the story unfold, as you learn about these different soldiers, you, you learn about them. You learn about their personalities. You learn about their character. You learn about how they engage in battle. But there's one particular person, Lieutenant Winters, that your attention is constantly focused upon. Lieutenant Winters, if there was a star of the miniseries, it is him. He began as a lieutenant at the beginning of the war, but he ended as a major. And there's this scene at the end of episode two. It's at the end of D-Day. They've dropped behind the enemy lines. They were parachute, uh, paratroopers, so they parachuted behind enemy lines. They didn't storm the beaches at Normandy. Instead, they took out the German guns that were shooting bombs upon Normandy. And at the end, Lieutenant Winters finds himself sitting on a hillside, looking over a field, and in the distance, the, the sky is filled with the lights of exploding bombs. And we're given, uh, we're given insight, we're given an opportunity to hear his innermost thoughts. And this is what he said. That night, I took time to thank God for seeing me through that day of days. And I prayed I would make it through D-Day plus one. And if somehow I managed to get home again, I promised God and myself that I would find a quiet piece of land someplace and spend the rest of my life in peace. Spend the rest of my life in peace. It's not hard to imagine why a soldier, why a warrior would want peace, is it? I mean, he had seen destruction. He had seen battle. He had seen death. 
It's not hard to imagine why this soldier, after battle, after war, would want peace. I mean, even that word, right, peace, it, it, it just sounds good, doesn't it? It's not hard to imagine that a soldier would want peace, but it's also not hard to imagine why we would want peace. Because the truth is, is that we want it. I mean, don't we want that for our lives? Not because of the physical wars that we have been a part of. In fact, many of us haven't been. Not because of the physical wars we've been a part of, but because of the turmoil, the struggle, the strife that we experience. I want peace. You want peace. This is what we long for. And this is what we have longed for and wanted ever since Genesis 3, because you remember in Genesis 1 and 2, we're told that God created the heavens and the earth and all that they contain, right? He placed the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, and he hung the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. And then he created man in his own image, men and women. He created them after his own image, in his own likeness, he created them. And then God looked upon all of his creation. What did he say? It is very good. And that very goodness was expressed in the fact that man had peace with God and with the creation and with one another. There was harmony and peace. But that peace was lost, wasn't it? That peace was lost because man rebelled against God. That's what sin is. Sin isn't an accident. It's not a mistake. It's not a whoops. (laughs) Sin is active and open rebellion against our God. And that's what man did. That's what man engaged in. And as soon as man engaged in this rebellion against God, that peace, that harmony was lost because man hid from God. You remember? There was separation between man and God. And God expelled man and woman, Adam and Eve, from the garden. And just one chapter after Genesis 3, in Genesis 4, the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain, killed his brother Abel. Just one chapter later, we have murder. And so the harmony and the peace that was part of that very goodness, no war, no strife, no enmity, it was lost. It was lost. And ever since, we have needed peace to be restored. And that's what this passage tells us about. See, this passage tells us how it is that we have peace with God, but not just with God, how it is that we have peace with one another. Now, our peace with one another has to begin with our peace with God, and that's where we turn. In verses 12 through 16, the Apostle Paul writes, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And so we hear where this peace with God comes from, right? I mean, he says it in verses 13 through 14. In Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. You see, what Paul is telling us is that what Jesus does through his death is that he puts to death 
the hostility that we had with God. I've already referenced Genesis 3, but this passage makes it explicit that we were those without hope, that we were without God, that we were far from God and we were deserving of his just punishment. And yet by the blood of Christ, he brings us near. He gives us peace. Y'all, we can never lose sight of that. We can never forget the foundation of our faith. We can never turn away from that truth, that reality, that we, that I, that you were once far off, but God, by his blood, by the blood of his son, brought us near. He did not leave us away. He did not leave that wall of hostility between us and him, but instead he tore it down and drew us to himself. Y'all, that is what we need. Whether you have been walking with Jesus for a day or a million days, that is what you need. And that is what I need, that truth of the gospel, that peace with God comes through the death of God's Son. There is nothing I can do. There are no good works. There is not enough knowledge or information that I can attain or that you can to bring peace. It comes through Christ. And thanks be to God, he gives it to us. By the blood of Christ, he makes peace. But what's amazing is that he doesn't just bring peace with us and the Father. He brings peace with man. He brings peace with one another. That's actually the thrust. The majority of our passage is dealing with that. About how Christ creates and builds a new people of peace. We see this creation Right in the passage before us, we see that how Paul is addressing division that is taking place within the church. There was the circumcision and the uncircumcision, right? Paul speaks of them. The circumcision were those people, those believers who had grown up as Jewish, believers, or Jewish people. They were part of the people of God. And they, they were aware of the promises of God. And then they believed in Jesus. They saw that he was the fulfillment of all of those promises. Those are the circumcision. The uncircumcision are the Gentile believers. They were not born into the people of God, and yet they trusted in the Lord, and they were brought into God's people. And there they are, these two people. The circumcision, the uncircumcision. Paul says they were alienated, strangers, aliens. There was separation. And yet these two groups that were once separate were now supposed to live together. But instead of living in peace, there was division. And it's not hard for us to imagine division, right? I mean, we see it in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians because the church was dividing over who they were going to follow. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Right, and in Galatians, we see this division playing out again, right, between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, right? They're dividing over secondary doctrinal issues. We see this division. It's not hard for us to imagine. It's not hard for us to imagine because we see it in our own world, don't we? The division that takes place over political views, educational views, social views. I mean, we do this. But here's the thing, when, when we divide over these things and we unite ourselves around these other ideals, these views that we unite around, they become our righteousness. They become the things that we find our identity in. Right? We start having schooling righteousness. We have public school righteousness. 
or private school righteousness or homeschool righteousness or we have political righteousness, right? We have, uh, we're a Republican or a Democrat or a Never Trumper or a Pro Biden or whatever it might be. We have social view righteousness, right? This, this is what we do. We find our righteousness in these things that we are seeking to unite around. But here's the truth, friends, is that if we try to unite ourselves around any ideal other than Christ, we will never find peace. Because the truth is, is that the fruit of peace is established by Christ's righteousness. That's why Paul says, he is our peace. Right? Paul tells us where there were two, through Christ there is now one. Verse 15, he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. Verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You see, this is a beautiful picture that the Apostle Paul is presenting us with. A beautiful picture of Christ creating a people for himself, a people of peace united around Jesus. That is where we find our peace. Not just with the Father, but with each other. And so if we're going to be a people of peace, we have to demonstrate this peace with each other. And this is important in our cultural moment. Because the cultural moment in which we lived is not marked by peace, it is marked by outrage. Right? I mean, we live in a time of criticism and griping and complaining. And maybe this isn't new. In in fact, you know what the truth is? Is it's not new. Right? The Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Ever since Genesis 3, there has been griping and complaining and division and separating. I mean, this is not new. But that doesn't give us a pass. I actually had a friend of mine say this past week, like, if I wasn't complaining, I'm not sure what I would talk about. It is in the air that we breathe. It is in the world that we live in. But friends, simply because the voices of our world gripe and complain and fight, that doesn't mean that's what Christians are to pursue. Now listen, I'm not saying that we don't challenge sin in our world or even in our own lives. We don't make peace with sin. But I do wonder, I do wonder if we've been so inculcated to the outrage of the world that we look and we sound more like outrage than we do peace. And yet, it was Jesus who said, blessed are the, do you remember what he said? Blessed are the, not, not the outragers, not the internet trollers, not the controversy seekers, not the quarrelsome. No, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. And so let me encourage you. Let me encourage myself. That the next time you engage in a social media discussion, or a friend group gripe fest, or an internal quarrel. <laughs> Y'all have internal quarrels? It's like you don't even have to argue with someone. You can just argue with the caricature of them that you have in your mind, right? It's amazing. I always win. (laughs) But the next time that you do one of those things, I want you to ask yourself, I want to ask myself, am I actually pursuing the peace that Christ has created? Because that's what Christ does. Y'all, he creates peace in us so that we would pursue peace. 
And what's amazing is he doesn't just create peace in us, he also builds us in peace. That's what we hear in verses 17 through 22. He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you hear the language that Paul is using? The language that we are now fellow citizens. We are members of God's household. We are growing into a temple in the Lord. We are built together as a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. I mean, what an incredible image he gives us of us. Built into a holy temple in the Lord? The dwelling place for God? I mean, this is amazing. We are united not around ethnicity or socioeconomic status or language or nationality, but we are built together in Christ. Verse 20, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's who we are. And so do you know what that means? That means I need you. I need you. That's what it means. And it means you need me. And it means we need one another. That's what it means. What it means is that you are not a building by yourself. And you can't be a structure of a holy temple on your own. What it means is that if I and you and we are going to pursue holiness, we need to help one another in that pursuit. It means that holiness and truth and beauty and peace are not individualistic endeavors, but they are things that we do together. Think about it like Jenga. Y'all know the game Jenga, right? That game, the blocks, you stack it up, right? And it's the tower, right? And and when you stack it all up, it's sitting on the table. You're getting ready to play. It's, It's stable. Nothing's moving. Everything's in its right place, those good right angles, right? It's all sitting exactly how it should, but, but you start taking out blocks, right? No, you take out the first block and nothing happens, right? The tower's still stable, it's still strong. You take out the second, it's still not moving. But as soon as you start taking out like five, six, ten blocks, what happens? It starts wobbling. It's no longer stable. And before too long, you take out one too many blocks and the whole thing comes falling over, Right? But you know what's amazing about that? Is that the the foundation of the game, like the foundation of the tower, it didn't move. It is still stable. It is still right there. But as soon as you start taking out those blocks that were intended to be together, as soon as you start removing them, then the whole structure falls over. And y'all, that is us. You see, the foundation of Christ, he does not move. He does not change. He is firm and he is steadfast. And we are built upon him. And as soon as we start removing the blocks, as soon as we start removing each other, as soon as we start taking them apart, then the whole thing comes down. You see, we cannot be a people who embody the fruit of peace without each other. And so what this means is it means we're not going to let disagreements fester. 
And we're not going to let the divisions of our culture divide his people. And it means, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, that so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. It means we're going to pursue one another in a spirit of peace. Because we have peace with the Father. And we have peace with one another. I mean, that's what we say every service, right? Every single service after the benediction, what do we say? I stand before you, right? I, I reference this from time to time in sermons, right? I stand before you and I say, the peace of Christ be with you. And you say? That's right. That's what we say. That's what we say to one another because we believe that the peace that Christ has won for us is for us. You know that some churches, they, uh, they include with this word of peace an extension of peace. So in some churches, often liturgically speaking, they'll, they'll take the, uh, the passing of the peace and they'll put it right after the assurance of pardon. So we hear this declaration that we have been made right with God because of Christ, and then the pastor or the liturgist will say, the peace of Christ be with you because of what Christ has done, the peace of Christ be with you, and also with you, and then people turn and they start shaking hands and they start greeting one another, peace of Christ be with you, peace be with you. It is every introvert's worst nightmare. <laughs> it is, Right? but the reason they do it is because they're physically embodying what is true about our spiritual reality. You see, when they extend peace to one another, and when we say it to one another, that is what we're doing. We're reminding one another of the truth that we have peace, not just with the Father, but with each other. And so I wonder... I wonder what it would do for, for us as individuals and for us as a community and for me and for you. I, I wonder what it would do for us if, if after the service, after the benediction, we would turn to one another before we start asking about the day, the week, what happened, if we just said, brother, the peace be with you. How was your week? The peace of Christ be with you, sister. Tell me what's coming up. What, what if we began our conversations with peace? Or, or what if at, at the end of our conversations, before we go and we greet our friend, or before we go meet that person that we haven't met, or we welcome that new visitor, what if before we walk away, we say, the Lord's peace be upon you as you leave here? Go with the Lord's. What if we said that to one another? I can't help but think that if we were saying those things to one another, if we were looking into one another's faces and we were saying, peace, that that it would be reminding us of who we are, that we are a people of peace. It'd be reminding one another of what Christ has achieved for us, that he went to the cross and shed his blood and brought us peace with the Father, not so that we would war with one another, but instead so that we would have peace with one another. And so, people of God, the peace of Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you did not leave us to ourselves, but that you did give your Son, our Lord Jesus, who gave his life and rose again and tore down that wall of hostility and gave us peace. And so I pray, Lord, that you would extend that peace, not just from you, our relationship with you, but to our relationships with, uh, with each other. Make us peacemakers. Make us those who who love to dwell in your peace and to dwell as a people of peace. Make us people who love you and know you 
and to extend that peace to one another. Father, we pray that you would do this for our good, but most of all, for the glory of your name. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. And all God's people said together, amen.